Welcome. It's great to have you here. My name's Dave. I'm part of the team here at Hills. Apologies for a few technical glitches. It's funny, just last night we were talking to some people about how great and seamless the technology has been. And uh, today, of all days, is the day that it decides to crash on us. But that's good. Thanks to Ben and Laura and Tim and the whole team who are just working frantically to get that done. Give them a round of applause wherever you are. And if this, if this breaks on us again, that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll just keep pressing on. Um, so welcome along. It's great to have you here. It's great to have some people in the room. Uh, as Mark said earlier, we're super excited about July 5, about the chance to gather together. We're excited to be able to bring more information. We're excited uh, for you to be connected, for you to gather, um, to just, yeah, to hear what it is that God's going to be doing. So keep your ears to the ground, keep your eyes open because information will be flowing thick and fast. We'll try and bring it in uh, bite-sized pieces. That's really clear. Um, But obviously we're working with government guidelines as well. So uh, give us grace, give us patience, um, and we appreciate that as we roll this out. Change isn't easy. Change is coming thick and fast. Normally in a Baptist church, we do things slow, as you guys know. uh, And that is not the case in this season. So... um, Yeah, we're all on the same treadmill. We're running and we're excited to be back together, whatever that looks like. Um, So we are, we're going to take a moment for the next couple of weeks. We just felt like with everything that's happened, that it's appropriate just to stop and to breathe before we come back together in the physical sense, just to take a moment to pause and to, to go back and have a look at who it is we are. Actually, no whose we are and what it is that we're called to do. To just stop for a moment and rethink, look at this beautiful, incredible, wonderful organism that is the church. And for me personally, in the last few weeks, um, I've had an opportunity, I suppose, just to step back and to gain a bit of perspective, an opportunity to uh, preach in a few different churches as well, an opportunity to uh, invest in some old friends and some of the great things that's happening in their new churches that have been planted, which is exciting, but also to invest in some new friends uh, and some of the struggles that they're encountering in this season. It's really interesting when you get a chance to do that and you get a chance to step back and, I guess, get out of just your direct context and dive into a fresh context and a fresh perspective. You get to, I guess, view the church a little bit differently. And um, for me, it's coupled with diving into the book of Acts and the New Testament, the letters, and just beginning to read and exploring this beautiful picture that is the church. And particularly as that then applies to us today. And I have to be honest with you as I've, I've sort of taken this look and stepped back and looked at what is in here and what we see in here and looked at the world around us, looked at the Western church particularly, looked at all that's happening in our world, my heart has grieved a little. Let me explain. You see, six months ago, end of December, on a 40-degree catastrophic day in the Onkaparinga Valley, I was leaving the Zumbos house. Hello, Zumbos. Can't wait to see you guys. Leaving the Zumbo's house after a time of prayer, and it was awesome, as a group of us. And as we left, we saw this pillar of, I guess, smoke just rising in the distance. And I remember thinking, oh, I hope they get that under control. About an hour later, as sirens were filling the air and 
it was clearly not under control. I remember, for whatever reason, picking up my phone and ringing a friend of mine who's a firefighter. He's also a volunteer in the CFS. And I remember ringing him. And I don't really know why I rung him, because I probably didn't expect him to pick up when he's in the middle of fighting fires on a catastrophic day. But he did. For whatever reason, he did. And so I sort of just started chatting. And I was like, partly asking what are you know what's going on for you and then partly asking what is um you know how am I feeling I think and then should we be leaving what should we be doing and in all of this he just kept saying the same thing over and over again what he just kept saying was Dave this is crazy this is out of control this is unlike anything I've ever seen before And you know when you hear someone and the emotion is so thick in the air, it's almost like you remember as if you were actually there in that moment. Have you ever done that before? Someone in this room can say amen if you've been there. You're in that space. And so in my mind, I kind of had this picture of standing in front of him. I almost remember it that way instead of being on the phone. But face to face with this guy, as he's covered in soot, he's covered in ash, he's, you know, smokes everywhere. And I just picture him like jaw to the ground looking at this massive fire front and him just saying I have never in 20 years of firefighting seen anything like this this is inextinguishable this is so powerful this thing is just crazy and I started thinking just last week in reading the book of Acts and remembering this image about the church And how when we read the book of Acts, there's something in this picture that the church should be like this. This immovable, unstoppable, unquenchable power, like a wildfire. Only instead of a wildfire that's just burning out of control and bringing destruction, it's a wildfire that's burning out of control and bringing life everywhere it touches. And so we have this picture of this, these fires which just ripped through this powerful, unstoppable, incredible force of nature. And then we have this picture of the church in the book of Acts, which is so similar, this powerful, unstoppable, unquenchable, inextinguishable force of God transforming the Greco-Roman world. And so when you look at this and then you look at the church today, I don't know about you, but there's something in my heart that grieves a little because as I was studying Acts and I was observing the Western church, I started to see where is that fire in this generation? Where is that same unstoppable, immovable, incredible, powerful force of God that is moving at such a rapid rate that an experienced, hardened, uh, you know, nothing's going to phase him person, firefighter who's been in that would stop and just have his jaw drop and say, oh my goodness. Like just be left in awe and reverence at the power of this thing. Because when you read the book of Acts, like you start in Acts chapter 1, you've got the the apostles as scared, um, fearful people sitting in an upper room. Um, Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's promised them just wait. And then in Acts chapter 2, out of that fear comes the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit ignites them on fire and Peter starts preaching and people get saved. And in Acts chapter 3, 
John and Peter start proclaiming the gospel and you start seeing the miraculous. And then in Acts 4, you see persecution. In Acts 5, you see the fear of God, Ananias and Sapphira. And you're like, what is going on? And then in Acts 6, you see conflict and you see the church get a little bit organized and actually use the G word, governance, and put structure in place to help facilitate the move of God, to deal with conflict so they can get on, not so that they can have power and so they can have you know this sense of control. It's nothing about that. It's so that the gospel can go forward forth so that the work of God won't be limited but that it will just be uh, continue to burn like a wildfire throughout the known world in Acts 7 you see Stephen so passionate so full of fire and full of faith that even in the midst of being stoned he's looking up to heaven and seeing Jesus and declaring the goodness and the glory of the gospel in the face of everything that's happening to him and then you see Saul who's laying his you know robe at the feet of the, the men were laying their feet the robe at his feet as the stoning's happening and giving him honor and he's going out trying to destroy the church and not even Saul can stop it because God grips his heart and says no no you're not going to persecute me you're going to be a voice for the uh, for the Gentiles you're going to proclaim the gospel to the very ends of the earth uh, it's just this incredible picture of what the church is and I don't know about you but sometimes I look at the western church and I say where is that fire in this generation where is that same passion? Where is that same immovable, unstoppable, inextinguishable power of God in the church? Because where we read in Acts that the church, nothing could stop them. They're even being in, chained in a prison at midnight was not stopping their praise. It doesn't matter that they were being persecuted. It wasn't stopping their worship. It didn't matter that people were coming against them. It wasn't stopping their prayer. It wasn't stopping their gathering. And when I look at the Western church today, I think many of us would rather have a picnic on a sunny day down at the beach than come together in worship. Many of us would happily leave churches because they change service times. Because a church has the audacity to go to two churches and I don't like a growth mentality or two services, I don't like a growth mentality. Like people are leaving the church over these crazy things because a church is on the move because what is going on in the world? Where's the fire of God that says, no, I am devoted to this. This is what my life is sold out for. And it's grieved my heart a little bit this week. I have to be honest with you, but it's caused me to ask this question. Where is the fire of God in this generation? Where is the fire of God? When we say, no, I've had so many conversations with people over the years where they're like, oh, no, 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 just chill out, Dave. Like, you know, the Jesus that I, I know, the Jesus, he's just the God of love. You know, he's the God of grace. And I remember having a conversation with a mum of a youth kid who I was, you know, we were mentoring years ago and like 10 years ago. And I had this, I did a talk on like God's intention for sex and marriage. It was high school age, like upper youth. So, and I remember just calling out saying, hey, God wants you to leave that for marriage. Like calling the biblical truth in these things. And she was like, that's not who we, that's not the Jesus we believe. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what about the Jesus who says, let the dead bury their dead and you come follow me? What about the Jesus who uncompromisingly says, foxes have old holes and the, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. You come follow me. What about the Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me? Like, I think if Jesus planted a church today, there'd be a lot of people who would leave his church 
because of how convicting he is. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. But gee, it's compelling. And he's the one who planted his church, the church, and he gave his spirit to empower us to transform the world. And we see that in Acts. And I want to ask us that question today as we come to this little two-week mini-series. Where is that fire in this generation? What has happened to the Western church? Is it because God is no longer on the move? Is it because God's given up? Is it because God's decided no? Well, if we read Acts chapter 2, we're going to have a look at a couple of things and we're going to see that that is not the case and we're going to see what is going on here. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and I'm going to go to 44 and then Mark's going to pick this up next week from 45 through 47. And this is what it says. I don't know if we've got this on the screen now. Oh, how good. You guys are doing a great job. They've been running around frantically behind this screen while we've been doing this. It says this, So those who received his word were baptized and they were added to the, uh, added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So here's the first thing I want us just to catch here, is that the church is not a building we attend. The church is not uh, just a, a gathering we do online. No, the church is the ecclesia. It is the assembly of God's people. It is his body of which he is the head. And if we are a Christian, and we are saying, I am a part of Christ, I love Christ, you cannot be a Christian and be disengaged from his church because that is like saying, I am a part of a body with no, uh, I'm a part of a head with no body. If you disengage from the church, if you remove yourself from the church and reject the church, you are rejecting Christ who is the head of that very body. And so the church, if you are in Christ, then you are a part of the church and you, you are a part of what God wants to do in the world through his church, through his ecclesia. Christianity is not an individualistic pursuit. It is a communal pursuit. It is a body. It is a gathering. It is an assembly. And every part has a vital part to play in the work of God in the world. And God is the one building his church. It says there that 3,000 were added. It didn't say that Peter convinced 3,000 to come and believe what he believed. It didn't say that Peter was so uh, amazing and so uh, incredible that people were like, I want to follow Peter. No, it says 3,000 were added. God added faith in the hearts of the people who heard the proclamation of the word to believe upon the scriptures that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is building his church. God is building his church. He is on the move. Look at Iran, a place where the gospel is completely prohibited, where there are no church buildings, where, where uh, there's persecution on every front, and yet that is the fastest growing Christian church in the world. 5.2% annually is what they guess is happening in terms of conversion to the Christian faith. Look at the church in China, how quickly that is growing despite persecution. God is on the move all over the place. We see pockets of it in the West, where pockets of the church are continuing to grow and thrive. But there are so many churches in the West that are dying and dead and there is no fire. And if God is the one building his church, what is happening? 
Where's the fire of God in the West? Does that grieve anyone else's heart as we look upon the West and say, where is the move of God? Where is the revival we've been praying for? And so I want to preach today on this topic of an unquenched church. Because if we go to 1 Thessalonians 5, I think we get a picture of what's actually going on. It says this, Paul writing, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. See, I want to suggest to us that in the Western church, what's happening is a quenching of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word quench is a Greek word, is sabanme. That's my best Greek attempt, sabanme. And it literally means extinguish. Do not extinguish. You know, when we think about how the church was birthed, the presence of God and the Spirit fell on the, the apostles, it was the fire of God that fell on them. And so it's saying, do not quench the Spirit. Do not extinguish the fire. Don't come and put out that immovable flame of God. That's why in 2 Timothy 1, 5 and 6, Paul speaking to Timothy and he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, It doesn't cause us to say, oh, I don't really feel like worship today. It doesn't cause us to say, oh, I'd rather hit a coffee on the beach than come to worship in a cold gymnasium or in the hills in Allgate. It doesn't say, hey, I think, you know, actually, I've got other priorities today and there's a party last night and I'm a bit tired, so therefore, I don't think worship's that important. No, it says it does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and have self-discipline. When we fan into flame the Spirit, we fan into flame the gift of the Spirit that God has given us to bring faith in our hearts, to stir us towards a Christian conviction, that same Spirit, when we fan it into flame, will not make us timid, will not make us cower, will not make us give up on gathering together, will not make us choose to sit in comfort, but it will give us power and love and self-discipline. In Psalm 138, it says, You have exalted your word above your own name. God has subjected himself to his word. We say, where is the move of God? The thing is, God, in subjecting himself to his word, he's made promise after promise after promise in Scripture that he says, If you, I will. If you obey, if you humble yourselves, if you do this, then I will pour out blessing for a thousand generations. But within those same promises, think Deuteronomy 28, uh, the, other, the other side of that course says, if you do not, if my people choose to choose their own covenant, my people run away from me and they do these things, then you will not walk in these blessings in favor of me. And he subjected himself to his word. And his spirit is now at work in the world, drawing people back to his heart that we might obey and thereby release the promise of God on the earth. Are you with me? God has established an order of things and he is working. His spirit is on the move and he's 
calling out his Western church to do a few things to stop quenching the spirit. It doesn't mean God is not sovereign. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is almighty, but we can still quench the spirit. We can still tie the tube. We can still take the extinguisher out and start putting out, dousing the flame of God to consume the world as we know it. And I just want to throw a couple of quick things at us before we get into how we do fan the spirit into flame. How do we quench the spirit? What are we seeing? One, our comfort is more important than God's conviction. As we read before in 1 Thessalonians, if we stop growing, if we stop receiving correction, if we stop meeting together, if we stop encouraging one another, if we stop doing these things that we're called to do, we actually begin to quench the Spirit. When we say, my comfort is more important than God's conviction in my life, we begin to quench what the Spirit is wanting to do. But when we are able to say, no, 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 that's not, I'm not going to choose comfort over conviction. I'm going to choose to follow the things of God, even if it is a little uncomfortable. We see the opposite of that. We see God's Spirit released and doing great and mighty things in our lives. Secondly, our plans are more important than God's prompting. And this is a big one for us as a church, because we love to make plans. We have a plan of the things that we want to achieve, but if God's Spirit is prompting, will we listen to the prompting of the Spirit, be obedient to the prompting of the Spirit, and follow God's way as opposed to what we want to do? Is God's prompting more important than our own plans? Number three, our fleshly desires become more important than our spiritual devotion. I think so often we see the quenching of the Spirit because either we reject the Spirit of God or we abuse the Spirit of God. Or we begin just to walk in habitual sin, like we just say, like we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when we just say that sin is actually fine. And when the church starts to, and let's look at the West right now, what are we doing as a Western culture? What are we saying? You know, we're, we're starting to accept things that God clearly in His Word says, no, this is not okay and this is not right. And when we start to accept those things and we start to say that the things that are not of God's heart are fine, we begin to quench the Spirit. So how do we fan the Spirit into flame? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Because what better place to go than the beginning, hey? The beginning of it all. What was going on in the church when we saw this incredible, powerful move of God where 3,000 are being added to their number? Here's what we see, verse, 30, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Friends, if we're going to fan into flame the gift of the Spirit, if we are going to see the revival that we long for, if we are going to see this mighty move of God in our generation, if we're going to see the church rise up and be that immovable, unstoppable, uncompromising force of God that's transforming the world, then we as the Western church must begin to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, number one. That is the word, what we have, the apostles' teaching held right here. We must begin to trust in tried and tested truths. Guess what? There are absolutes. We live in a world that says there's not. They are wrong. There are absolutes. We need to base our lives and base our convictions on concrete foundations. The Word of God is alive and active. The Word of God is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. The Word of God is the rock on which we stand. The Word of God is trustworthy, and we need to begin to devote ourselves, not 
be interested in. It's time to devote. Devote speaks of this uh, complete giving over to. It's about it becomes, it becomes the forefront of what my life is about. Devotion. Devotion is it, it consumes me and I am consumed by it. The church, if we have our little Bible app and we do our verse of the day and we spend five seconds saying, oh, that's a great verse of the day, I've done my study, that is not devotion unto the word. And that is a quenching of the spirit because the church is satisfied with less than what God has. The church becomes satisfied with crumbs when God's got a steak waiting for us. He's saying, come and feast on the fullness of what I have for you. And we're sitting there starving and we don't even know it because we're feasting on the crumbs that the world has to offer and we've convinced ourselves that it's good, but it's not. Someone should be saying amen. Amen. We need to stand on the word. We need to devote ourselves to the word. Let me ask Mark's questions last week. What would it look like if the church chose to devote themselves unto the word? What if we truly immersed ourselves in the Word? It takes 72 hours to read the Bible from beginning to end. That's it. And I had a dream last week, and I woke up actually in tears because I had a dream that I was standing on the pulpit at Verdun, and I said, and I put the question, I said, raise your hand if you've read the Bible from cover to cover. And about 10% of hands went up. And I actually felt like that was a word from God for this message to say, what are we doing? If we are claiming the name of Christ, if we believe that he is who he says he is, if we truly believe that, if we truly believe that he is Lord of Lords, if we truly believe that we are saved by grace through faith, if we truly believe that without him we are dead, then he has given us his word. Why would we not read it? Why would we not devote ourselves to it? Why would we not allow his word to wash over us and to stir us and to bring us to faith and to teach us? Let's be devoted to the word. Number two. They were devoted to fellowship. Greek word, koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. Koinonia. It's a great word. They were devoted to fellowship. Koinonia means community, and it actually means a joint participation. So what was happening was they were devoted to jointly participating in all things life. That the church was devoted to the word, but they were also devoted, given over wholly to being a part of Christian community, of doing life together. Friends, that's why online church is a great resource. It's a great resource for those who are shift workers. It's a great resource for this season. It's a great resource for people who can't physically be in a gathering. It's a great resource for outreach, for proclaiming the gospel to the rest of the world. But it is not a replacement for the church's gathering. And when we come back on July 5 and when God opens up the floodgates as a church, we need to not settle for online church, but we need to, vo- do de- we need to devote ourselves to the koinonia of the early church. We need to gather together, not just on a Sunday, but in homes. We need to gather together to encourage one another, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to build each other up in the faith. We could go on and on and on in Scripture. It talks all the time about this koinonia, this fellowship, this gathering, this community. We need to do that. And as we do that, we fan into flame the gift of the Spirit. We fan into flame the fire of God and we will see a mighty move of God in this generation. And I want to see that. I don't know about you. Number three, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. 
Now, this means genuine meals, eating together, but it also implies the sacrament. It also implies communion, which speaks to worship. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to coming together and remembering Christ, to reminding each other, to lifting up the name of Jesus, to worshipping him and giving him glory for who he is and what he's done. Can we be devoted to worship? Can we be devoted to that? Can we be devoted to the breaking of bread, to actually saying, God, you reminding ourselves who he is and how small we are. That's the beauty of worship is that it's saying, God, you are up there and I am down here. And what happens in life, and it's so easy, with all the distractions that we have, what happens in life is we so quickly forget who's on the throne. I'll never forget what Mark preached, I reckon, a few months ago, where he said, stop telling your mountain, or stop, what was it? Stop telling God how big your mountain is, and start telling your mountain how big your God is. What a word that was, Pastor Mark Sanders. It was a fantastic word. He's right here. But it is so true. How do we gain that perspective? We gain that perspective through worship. We gain that perspective through the word. We gain that perspective through the koinonia, through fellowship. That's how we gain that perspective. And the last way, and band, you can come up. The last way we gain that perspective is by devoting ourselves to prayer. When we devote ourselves to prayer, prayer is the act of surrender. Prayer is the act of saying, God, I am not the boss. I'm not the boss. You are the boss. You are in control. You are in charge. I just had this picture of uh, in our house, sometimes our children fight. Sometimes they get a bit uh, flustered. And particularly the two boys can, uh, they have a tendency to poke the bear, which is Mabel Shepherd. And Mabel is a fiery little cat, for those of you who know her. And she's a beautiful human being. But there are times when a little poke can cause a large outburst in our household from young Mabel Shepherd. And we've been talking to her about just, you've got to learn to control. You've got to learn to breathe. You've got to learn to just compose yourself. And I had this thing the other day where the boys were just, they were doing the little poke. They were just trying to get her to blow up. And I walked in and Mabel had a chin clenched and she had her fist clenched she was like she was shaking and then she just said something so profound she had no idea how profound it was she goes you are not the boss of me and sometimes I think we need to look at the distractions of our world that are coming to shake us and kick us off of our course we need to just clench our fists and clench our jaw and say you are not the boss of me God is the boss and the place where that happens is in a place of prayer come and pray hey There's prayer meetings happening all over the place. If you're someone who struggles to pray privately, join the club. That's why we've started prayer ministries. If you love praying quietly, good on you. That's awesome. Keep doing it. But hey, we've got, when have we got Monday prayer group? We've got Tuesday prayer group. We've probably got a Thursday prayer group. We've got 6.30 every single morning over Zoom. Wake up. It doesn't matter if you've got your makeup on. It doesn't matter if your hair's not done. It doesn't matter if you stink. It doesn't matter because you're just over a screen. Come and pray. And as we pray together, we begin our day by acknowledging that He is God. We are not. And we begin to devote ourselves to the things of God. And we are fanning into flame the gift of the Spirit. Amen. What does it lead to? What does it lead to? Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. 
And this is where the ESV is good because the NIV says an awe came upon every soul on account of the apostles' miracles. No, no, that's not the correct translation. Awe came upon every soul, semicolon. And wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Awe came upon every soul. Why? Because the apostles were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer and to the word. And as we devote ourselves, we fan into flame the gift of God. God, Spirit has a freedom to move and to transform the world. And it causes people to stand in awe in the same way that my friend stood before a fire and went, wow. The world will stand before the fire of God alive in the church and go, wow. Because people are devoted, because we're together in a world that is disunified because we are countercultural, because we're living together in beautiful gospel unity because we are seeing wonders we're seeing the miraculous we're seeing the hand of God alive in the world transforming lives healing the sick we're seeing crazy things happen that causes the world to just be blown up as God is on the move and then it restates at verse 44 and all who believed were together and had all things in called to be together we're called to be devoted and my encouragement to you this week and Mark's going to hit this again in greater detail as we carry this passage on next week as a church in this season don't let the devil push you off your course devote yourself to the word devote yourself to fellowship devote yourself to the breaking of bread to worship and devote yourself to prayer May July 5 be bursting at the seams. Not so that we can say, look how great our gathering is. That's rubbish. Hear me. That is not our heart. We could not care less. What we care about is that the world would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That is our heart. And God has given us a mandate. May we carry that mandate out not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. By His Spirit. He alone builds His church. He alone builds it through the vessel that is a devoted saint. Devoted saintly gathering, I should say. A devoted church. Let's stand to our feet and let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You are a great God. And we're actually going to come into a time of prayer. We're going to do something a little bit different, something we haven't done much in this online season. But we're going to have an open mic prayer session. And we've got people in this room who God has been stirring throughout this to pray. And if we're going to be devoted to the Word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, to worship, devoted to prayer, then we might as well pray and take this opportunity right now to do it. And so, Father, we pray that you just begin to stir. We pray that you'd begin to put uh, prompts on our hearts. Lord God, that you'd begin to have words of knowledge, that you'd begin just to speak into people's lives right here, right now. And as a whole church gathered, if we're in our groups of 20 in homes, if we're sitting by ourselves in a home, if we're by ourselves in a car, wherever we are, if this is Wednesday and you're hearing this for the first time, wherever you are, now's the time to pray. Pull over if you're driving. Pull over for one minute and pray. 
If you're in a group, stop talking. Just stop talking. If your kids are chatting, stop. Just pause. Just lead the house for one moment. Say, let's pray. Let's pray into our culture. Let's pray, pray into the Western world. Let's pray for the persecuted church. Let's pray for the church global that it would rise up and be that all-consuming fire that God has called it to be. That this COVID season would not be a season where the church regresses, but it would be a season where the church rises to its mandate as treasure-carrying jars of clay. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we're going to open the mic up. People are going to come and pray as the Lord leads in Jesus' name. You might have noticed the camera was refocusing at multiple times this morning. We were trying to get that right. And God sort of showed me a picture that what prayer does, it refocuses us. That in the craziness and chaos of life and everything that's happening Sometimes we need to press that button. We need to tap into the Spirit and refocus our lives. And I know for me, that's a daily thing. And that's what prayer does. That's what devotion to Him does. That's what the Spirit does in and through us. So could we be a church? Could we be a people who refocus and capture what He has for us? Father, just thank You that Your Spirit breaks strongholds. Your Spirit makes a way where there seems like there is no way. Thank You that Your Spirit refreshes us, Lord. So let us cast our burdens, our anxiety at the foot of the cross. And Lord, we just ask that You would refresh us right here, right now in our lounge rooms, wherever we're listening from, Father, we just ask that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit. You would do something that only you can do in our lives, in this church, in our city, and in our world, Lord. And we just thank you. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Good morning, church. When we're in our time of worship, just before the preaching, I just had this image, and it is that in the coming weeks, it's like we as a church are athletes, and we have a date where there's going to be a race, a launch into a new season for the church. And in the coming weeks, where we're at is where the athlete that knows the race, the gun is about to be fired and they're stretching and they're warming up, but they know that at that point, at that launch, it is a time when all that matters is just launching into the new season with energy, with determination, with focus, with absolute purpose in everything that we do. So I just want to pray into that now. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your people, your church, that in this time that there would be a stirring in the hearts of all of your people, that, Lord God, that apathy would be shaken off, that complacency would be shaken off, that, Lord God, that the calling and the purpose, Lord God, for each of your people would be fanned into flame. God, speak to them in the night. Speak to them in the morning. Speak to us, your people. Stir our hearts. Set us on fire for you. And I pray that, Lord God, that as we launch into this new season, that there would be no hesitation, that we would absolutely explode off those blocks, God, that we would run the race, God, with a view to win. Lord God, that there be an absolute determination, an absolute focus, Lord God, on the finishing line, 
that there would be no distraction, nothing, Lord God, that separates us, God, from your calling and our purpose, Lord God, in you. And I pray, bless your people, stir your people, God, in the coming days and the coming weeks. And I pray, Lord God, just flood your people, Lord God, with hope, with determination, with energy, Lord God, and bring a freshness and a fire and a power and a focus, Lord God, to your people in Jesus' name. Good morning. I just wanted to really send out a prayer to those who have been really struggling with a screen. I know that I'm definitely one of these people and I feel like God wants me to pray this over myself a bit as well. But I think... You know, I felt almost isolated before COVID and then COVID came around. And I just want to say that if this is how you feel, that you have been feeling so far away from God, that this prayer is for you right now and I want you to listen. <laughs> Father, thank you so much that you are always with us. Thank you that, um, yeah, that there is no way that you will not be there for us, God. I just pray that in this moment, the people who have been struggling, Lord, um, with connecting with a screen or feeling like God's taken a walk away from them because we can't go to church at the moment, I just pray that He will come into your hearts right now and that He will comfort you in all the ways that you need and that there is light at the end of this tunnel right now, God. We can see that we will be able to be together soon again in a room and things will be a bit more normal again, but I just pray for those people that are alone right now, that that you are not alone, that He is with you right now in the room. And I just pray that you can feel His comfort and that it's not, it's not long, but God just wants you to know that He is there. In Jesus' name, amen. Just thought I'd just thought I'd bring. There's just something stirring in me. Um, just as I as I heard people share, and I just want to share share this as as a last word to, before we go into worship. I guess before Dave comes back. But uh, we sort of shared that July 5th we're going back to church. But I just felt like God saying, "Don't go back. Don't go back. That actually God can do something new." And this this passage from Isaiah 43, the Lord says. Um, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. And, uh, and my prayer is that we don't just think in the mindset of which we're going to go back to church, but actually in the mindset of God is going to do a new thing. And most of us haven't been part of something extraordinary in history until this time. There has not been a time in history for I don't know when, or I don't know whether it's ever happened that the church worldwide has not met together in person, in any church basically across the world, for months at a time. In the history of the church, 2,000 years. And we, you have been part of that time. That is what we've been part of. And now we're about to go back, but we're not going to go back because God wants to do a new thing. And if we don't come out of this season with something new, you that rises up in us that refocuses who we are and what we're about and what we're called to be we will have missed an incredible God opportunity God is going to do a new work and I'm inviting you and we want you to come and be a part of that because God could do something mighty in this nation in this time and we could get to share in it so let us be part of what God is doing hand over to Dave so good so good
Yeah, Lord, may we follow your prompting and not our plan. And if your prompting is, is something different to what we're thinking, Lord, we want to be on board with that. So lead us and guide us. God, I thank you that devotion requires discipline. Devotion doesn't come easy. But as you said, we're going to fan into flame the gift that God has given us. And the spirit that you have given us is not one that makes us timid, but it is one of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. Lord, the spirit you give us is the spirit that calls us to discipline and draws us toward devotion. So may we be devoted to the word. May we be devoted to fellowship. May we be devoted to the breaking of bread, to worship, and may we be devoted to prayer. That is our position. That is our posture. And it is through that that you move in might and power, causing the world to stand in awe as you perform your wonders on the earth. So we love you, Lord. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name and all God's saints said, Amen. Let's stand and sing. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.